Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their community for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. Good morning, everyone. I hope that you had a happy Easter uh, and you got to spend some time with friends and family uh, and that your week is off to a good start here uh, as well. This is the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Uh, Today on the podcast, I am joined by Lindsay Kochka, and Lindsay is the owner and founder of 2% Certified Fluent Movement on the Fly. And what Fluent Movement on the Fly is, is it's a... It's a, it's a methodology, really, uh, where Lindsay uh, utilizes a lot of her education um, in yoga, uh, natural movement, uh, yeah, functional range, conditioning mobility specialist, and ties those into her experience uh, as a fly fishing guide and her experience with fly fishing. And what she found as she kind of set into uh, her journey of fly fishing were a lot of the um, similarities between fly fishing uh, and the things that she was uh, working on from a, a wellness side of things as well. Um, and as well as the more she got into uh, fly fishing in general, the more and she started to talk to people, the more she realized that a lot of uh, people and, and maybe a bit more uh, women specifically were uh, a little... Um, what's the word I'm looking for, a little uh, nervous, apprehensive about some of the obstacles um, that they faced when they were, uh, you know, maybe exploring some new areas on the water, on the river, and just didn't feel quite comfortable kind of navigating uh, some of the the terrain that was out there. So with Lindsay's course, she's uh, basically uh, empowering women um, to to feel more comfortable while they're uh, on the water, while they're in the field, and give them that confidence um, to, you know, be able to get past that that tree that's across uh, the river or, you know, be able to, to wade through some, uh, you know, faster water than maybe what they're used to. Uh, and really 
kind of all in all trying to, to lower um, or get rid of one of the barriers uh, to entry uh, for fly fishing, uh, which I think is just um, is great because it's oftentimes, and Lindsay and I talk about this, it's one of those things that you don't really think about, uh, especially if you kind of get into fly fishing at a younger age, uh, you just kind of... Um, take it for granted that you can get over that tree or, or you know, get through that fast water, uh, you know, scale those rocks or, or walking on, you know, some, some slippery terrain for the first time in, in some faster water. And, you know, with um, Lindsay's background and training in, in some of the things that I had mentioned, um, she's using that again to, to help um, anglers feel more comfortable uh, when they're out there and really connect, um, you know, with nature and with their surroundings when they're out on the water too, which I think is just a, a an awesome and fascinating approach um, to it as well. Because I think too often we get kind of caught up in the you know the hustle and bustle of life, and even when we're out enjoying, um, you know, whether it's hunting or fishing or backpacking or you know bird watching, whatever it is, we don't sometimes take the time to to slow down and to really appreciate and enjoy the things that are around us. And that's, you know, certainly one of the things that she wants to, to emphasize is, you know, finding that, uh, you know, that, that peaceful, that kind of Zen-like uh, state when you're on the water, uh, as well as, um, you know, kind of in your own personal life as well. So <clears throat> episode 98, Lindsay Kachka, uh, enjoy. Uh, today's episode is going to be brought to you by my friends at Wild Rivers Coffee, Sammy and Marshall. Uh, for the last few years have been turning out some awesome coffee. Uh, we just wrapped up a, an Easter giveaway where uh, they gave away one of their French presses uh, and a bag of their coffee. Um, you know, Wild Rivers Coffee, they're roasting in small batches so that they can ensure that your coffee arrives at its peak freshness. Uh, Wild Rivers is also uh, a proud partner with 2% for Conservation. That's why everything uh, that they sell, a portion of the proceeds are being donated back to wildlife conservations that are near and dear to them. Uh, you're going to have groups like Trout Unlimited, Backcountry Hunters and Angler, Ducks Unlimited, and Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Uh, so head over to wildriverscoffeeco.com. Get your fresh roasted beans. Uh, they have some really sweet handmade mugs, ton of cool merch, uh, and as I just mentioned, a ton of accessories uh, for you know pour over, French press, grinding your beans, all that good stuff. They've got it there. It's, it's really a one-stop shop for, uh, for all your coffee needs. Um, use the code, and this is all caps, FISH underscore wildlife, and you're going to save 15% off your order. Um, or if you sign up today and subscribe uh, for your coffee, you're going to save 10% um, off your order as well. So again, head over to wildriverscoffeeco.com. Basically at the onset of the pandemic, um, at the time I was the director of programming yoga and fitness programming for a group of climbing gyms in the Twin Cities. And of course, that was kind of the first thing to go when COVID came around. So I was laid off pretty quickly. And um, my partner and I were doing like long distance in between Minnesota and Montana for some time prior. And I kind of just not knowing what this pandemic business was all about. I, I just kind of packed up my truck and, and cruised out out west and I haven't left. So I've been here for just a little over two years. I'm pretty new to new to the West yet. Yeah, but that's, I mean, if you're going to do it, I mean, it's obviously, it's super unfortunate that you, you know, you lost your job during the pandemic, which, you know, unfortunately so many people did, but to, to kind of have somewhere to go, I guess, to, to some degree uh, with your partner living in Montana, I mean, you had a bit of a destination. Uh, I mean, but what a yeah. great time to do it, right? Where 
we can't really be inside, but, you know, Montana, the, you know, Bozeman in particular with everything that the outdoors has to offer and that, you know, in the kind of the, the Gallatin Valley there. I mean, it's what a place to go, right? Oh, I mean, truly ideal. I, I, I don't want to, you know, count the, the pandemic as a blessing necessarily, but um, in terms of places to wind up, I mean, I struggled a little bit to find work. Right when I got out here, you know, we were all kind of in lockdown for a little a little bit of time. And then, of course, a lot of my history has been hospitality industry, outdoor apparel, and then, of course, teaching yoga and fitness, all of which weren't really um, considered essential and up and running. So I definitely had a few months just to fish every single day and um, learn oh. the fisheries, learn the area, learn the culture. Um, so, so as much as it was kind of a... a predominantly a solo venture a lot of alone time fishing and you know learning how to be safe in a new environment where there's different degrees of wildlife hanging around um it kind of fast-tracked my my understanding of just the region uh because of the pandemic and you know i eventually got a job on a farm for a while and figured out how to make do for a while before reorienting into what i'm up to now um so yeah i'm not mad about it i love both i mean it's just been pretty sweet being out here yeah so let's talk about what you're up to now fluent movement on the fly um obviously you were uh just announced i think maybe a week maybe two weeks ago uh as being two percent certified so so tell me about fluent movement on the fly yeah um so it's sort of it's a vision that began a few years ago and really i think it was it, it budded right when I started fly fishing. So I've been fly fishing for, for about seven, eight years. So not too terribly long, but right when I started fly fishing and I began exploring while living in Minnesota and in the Driftless region, kind of right out of the gate, I realized that there were all sorts of um, challenges that I was running up against that I didn't necessarily expect. So, you know, I lived in Minneapolis for about 20 years and, you know, much of the terrain there, it's just like manicured even when you're kind of like getting out into the quote unquote outdoors, uh, most of the stuff close to the city is pretty accessible and approachable and easy to, to navigate. Uh, when I started fly fishing and I started exploring these small spring creeks, I, I recognized that I was like, wow, this is actually really hard. I'm like moving through a uh, really thick brush and I'm learning how to navigate moving water and wade effectively and, learning about how to get up and over obstacles and underneath stuff and, you know, just all those components that I hadn't really experienced in terms of moving in the outdoors around Minneapolis in particular. Uh, so, you know, being a, a yoga teacher and then also a natural movement educator, I, I sort of just made the connection right away that like, huh, I wonder if other people are, are experiencing what I'm experiencing as I'm starting to learn how to fly fish and learn how to move through this kind of terrain. Uh, so I started getting a little bit more involved in the fly fishing community, um, different organizations, different groups, and just chatting with people about their experiences and on the water and both just at, you know, different club meetings. And lo and behold, I was hearing from a lot of people that they were like, you know, I'm actually not terribly comfortable going out fly fishing um, and certainly not alone because of some of these additional physical challenges that I'm experiencing. So that is, that's kind of where the idea was born out of, was just talking to lots of different folks about some of these different, more physical-focused elements of, of the fishing itself. So beyond 
you know, all of the resources that we have available to learn how to cast and to learn entomology and reading water and all of that, I was noticing that there really wasn't anyone speaking specifically to this other component that actually really kind of makes or breaks our experience. So, so that's kind of where it came from. Yeah, I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's one of the things that, you know, when I was looking through the website, through your website there and, and getting a better understanding of of what it is um, that the business does uh, and what you offer. like, And I start to think back on some of my experiences, uh, especially, like you said, early on with fly fishing. Um, and, and I don't know if it's maybe exclusive a bit more to um, like the Midwest and the East where, I mean, there's certainly a lot of um, streams and rivers and things like that in the West that are, you know, um, a bit more difficult to, to access. Um, you know, they have a lot more of the logs and trees, but I feel like a lot of people, when they think of like fly fishing in the West, you're like, oh, you're standing in like an open meadow and it's beautiful and it's like super easy to just walk there, right? But it's, that's certainly not the case, right? And there's so many different uh, areas to fly fish and not necessarily just for trout. I mean, you can fish all sorts of species with fly fishing. And then I, um, that, that element of, you know, walking over all these down trees, ducking underneath them. And at the time I kind of took it for granted, right? Cause I was younger and it was like, Oh, it's just, you know, beep bop over this and no big deal. But yeah, as I get older, I'm like, Oh gosh, another down tree. Like, <laughs> All right, here we go. Like hike up the waders a little bit, like get, get, get comfortable. Cause you're going to be stretching here and, you know, kind of, you know, maneuver your way around stuff and it takes its toll on you. It really does. Yeah, totally. And I think that you, you nailed it. It's like, it's one of those things that I think a lot of people take for granted if it just happens to feel intuitive and really easy. So for sure, there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, what's the big deal about getting up and over this down tree? But that's certainly not everyone. I mean, there's a lot of folks, and again, our bodies change over time. Um, but even people that are still within that younger younger demographic, um, you know, if they didn't grow up in these environments and they haven't really been exposed to them, it isn't actually that intuitive to all people. So really just offering super simple methods that people can use where it's like, once you start doing it, you're like, Oh, this clicks, this feels natural. Um, but for some people, a little bit of, of education goes a super long way. And then of course, again, things change um, with our bodies all the time. So being able to have a kind of arsenal of different methods available so that we feel a little bit more empowered and like we have more options to continue to explore, I think is, super important. And plus, you know, the water in the West, it's all over the place. But, you know, when I got out here, um, when I went to guide school, it was predominantly for two reasons, because I was taking on a pretty big volunteer role in the fly fishing community. And I wanted to learn more so about the water in the area. But also because I'd never been exposed really to the, the bigger water. And I found that to be super intimidating. Uh, just, you know, it's much faster. It's, arguably more dangerous in many ways. So I, um, I think that there are challenges in, in any kind of fishery and any kind of, of water available for sure. Yeah. The, the, like you said, the, the, the bigger water, yeah, it can certainly be intimidating. Um, whether it's just, I mean, you, you look at some of these, um, big, big streams and yeah, I mean, the water can, can get super dicey if you're not uh, prepared, if you're not, you know, watching where you're stepping, if you just, you know, if you just take for granted, like, oh, this next step without looking down is no big deal, right? It's just like where I'm standing now. And 
maybe there's a big rock and you trip and then you go down and then your waders fill up. I mean, even if you're only in, you know, two feet of water, like it's, it's going to ruin your day, you know, and you could, I mean, the, the list of things that could go wrong from that point, uh, is, is really big and you don't want to really mess with any of those things. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, it's not like I'm trying to pretend like this is, uh, like, a number one safety method and like you you learn these things and then you're just going to be good to go. But I do think you're right that that mindfulness component of just reminding people and, you know, especially in the culture that we live in where it's like everything's moving so fast and we're kind of programmed to move in a really quick way, reminding people and helping people to remember how to slow down and to be really methodical and mindful with each individual step when you're crossing a river is that's huge. I mean, I feel like every time I've taken a digger, it's because I've been moving too fast without question. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, hey, it still happens. (laughs) You know, and how many people are out fishing and maybe they're they're very early on in their uh, fly fishing uh, journey and they're they're fishing, you know, some some kind of close quarters waters with a lot of overhang and debris and whatnot. And they come across a down tree and they just they don't feel comfortable to be able to get past it. So that's kind of where their day ends, right? Or they just, you know, they fish back upstream or downstream, whichever way they came from. And, you know, they're fishing the same water that they probably already buggered up from coming through in the first place. And if you have that confidence and that strength and that, you know, empowerment, like you talked about, to be like, okay, I know what I can do to help me get over this. Uh, You know, I've done this before, um, like through one of your retreats or, you know, they, they have a better understanding of what it takes to get over that. And then their day continues, right? And they're getting now to fish potentially water that they haven't fished before. And it just, it really enhances their experience all the way around. Totally. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you just been stuck fishing the same run or the same hole? Because you're like, this is, this is where I am. I can't get past whatever it happens to be. So I guess I'm just going to hammer this one section and wonder why I'm not catching fish anymore three hours later. Yeah. Um, so totally agree. And then on the inverse, you know, reminding people to make really calculated choices as well. So that like sometimes there are situations where it's like you kind of weigh out, is it worth me crossing this down tree across the river in order to get to the other bank so that I can fish it because it looks really, really good? Or is that maybe not that not that wise of a choice? And perhaps I can take a different route and do something differently. So I think I think both are true for sure. Yeah, I had a funny story about uh, when I was, my uh, family and I took a trip up to, uh, gosh, we were up by, up by Helena. And this is, gosh, this is probably 15 years ago. Uh, we went out fly fishing for the summer and we were fishing this small tributary to the Blackfoot. And I had a buddy with me and we're just, gosh, yeah, we're just out of high school, just into college. And him and I were fishing this stretch and my dad had went off and was either, I think went, went way upstream of us and was like, I'll, I'll just come down and meet you guys in a couple hours. So he eventually works his way back down and we're fishing this little stretch of water kind of running through this meadow. That's gosh, maybe 15 yards across. Like it's, it's not very big, but it's, it's fairly deep. Right. And you know, my dad and I are sitting there talking, my buddy's upstream of us and you know, he's got 40 feet of line out, right? Like entirely too much line and he's standing in the water (laughs) entirely too much line out. And like, my dad and I are just kind of watching him just like, you know, false cast, false cast, false cast. We're like, what is this guy doing? Right. And then next thing you know, you see him, you know, he's, he's jerking on the rod. Cause of course he cast it across the stream and got hung up. 
So he's like inching further and further out to like see if he can, you know, just wiggle his fly free. And my dad and I look back down and like 30 seconds later, we look up and he all we see is just a head, a hat and sunglasses just like floating down the river at us. Like he <laughs> fell, filled everything up and was just like along for the ride on the river. And it was one of the funniest things that I've ever seen. And, you know, thankfully he didn't get hurt. He just, you know, it was too deep and he lost his footing and he wasn't a super coordinated guy to begin with. And yeah, it's one of the, one of the things that I think about whenever I think about falling or, or something treacherous when, uh, when fly fishing. Oh, it happened. And, you know, it happens to the best of us. It happens to all of us. So, again, it's not that it's not that we're going to assume like, OK, you're never going to fall. But, you know, half of what we do with with the fluent movement on the fly classes is like incorporating get up patterns, like literally because you are going to fall. How are the most effective ways for you to get up if you're on your back or you're on your front body or whatever the, the environment and the circumstances are? Because, yeah, you're going to have to figure out how to get up. And again, for some people, it's just intuitive. And then other times you get yourself in a weird situation and um, having some of that muscle memory just in place where it just clicks in is super helpful for yeah. sure. So how did the the wellness side, how did you get involved in that? I mean, you said, um, you know, you were, uh, you're, you're certified in a ton of different things, whether it's, uh, I'm not even going to try to list all of them, but I know like <laughs> yoga uh, and movement and mobility, those are, are certainly some. How did you kind of get involved um, in the wellness side of things? Uh, well, so I've been teaching for, for just over a decade, and I started out in, in the yoga industry. So I began practicing yoga about a dozen years ago and pretty quickly recognized that it was just a very impactful practice for me in terms of mental health, physical health, just and even the community aspect. So I, um, I decided to do my first teacher training 10 years ago. <clears throat> and then uh, beyond that, you know, I've been teaching on and off uh, full-time and part-time and with other part-time jobs sprinkled in for the past 10 years. And um, really just, just recognizing that it's, it's helpful for so many people for so many different reasons. I mean, people come to yoga practice, mindfulness practices, all the different kind of variants for their own personal reasons. But, you know, we know that even like doctors are very regularly prescribing yoga or meditation or mindfulness practice. And of course, we live in a sedentary culture overall. So just getting people moving is huge for mental health and for physical health and all of it. So so it's definitely something I've just been passionate about for a really long time for all the reasons that I listed and um, starting to branch out and getting certified in MoveNet, which is the natural movement, which really focuses on basic human movement, more so in the outdoors. I mean, you could think of it more as like primal movement or functional movement, stuff like stepping up and over stuff or throwing and catching or balancing or running or swimming, all of that. Uh, and then, of course, joint joint longevity. So the functional range conditioning is so helpful for, and I mean, it's really used a lot in professional athletics, but so, so useful for people who, uh, really anyone, but certainly people that are really invested in a specific sport or um, a hobby or a thing, where sometimes it involves repetitive motion. Fly fishing is a great example of that. <laughs> Rowing is yep. a great example of that. You know, there's there's tons of different different options. But but yeah, it's been really cool to to just expand my my education and my offerings and kind of evolve over the years based upon where my values lie and and what I feel like is is useful and applicable in in my life and in the people that I've been teaching. Yeah. Now, were you an athlete growing up? Did you play a lot of different sports? 
No, not at all. Nerd. Total, like, (laughs) (laughs) hanging out. I mean, I dabbled. I, like, very, very casually dabbled. But, no, you know, I've always been a cyclist. And, you know, in my early 20s, I was a bike messenger for several years. So I've always, you know, been a person who likes to be outside, um, but definitely not, like, a devout athlete in in any certain way. I'm honestly just I don't have a competitive bone in my body. So, it never really worked to try to couple like a couple bike ra- races. And I was like, yeah, this is just stressful actually. <laughs> <laughs> no. And that's all right. And the reason I asked was because what I've, I find uh, a lot of times of, of people who, um, you know, make uh, fitness, um, you know, uh, or just wellness kind of in general uh, as a part of their life. Um, usually it's because something piqued their interest, maybe at a younger age during athletics. Um, I told a story the other day, I think on the podcast where uh, I had broke my ankle at a, I was like 13, 14 years old, something like that, playing like peewee football. And the whole like rehabilitation process was super interesting to me. So I'm like, I'm going to be a physical therapist. Like that's what I want to do. Even when like, and this was through high school, I, I kind of had this game plan uh, and then I got to college and I had met, met with an academic advisor and he was like, okay, like, this is what you want to do. Like, this is what you got. I was like, six years. It's like, are you kidding me? No, 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 no. <laughs> Let's talk about something else here. Right. Like I quickly threw that out the window, but I, I just, I always kind of curious if, uh, if there was something like at a younger age that were, that just kind of like, you know, again, piqued your interest, um, for the, the, the wellness mm-hmm. and, uh, that side of things. Yeah, no, not so much. But, you know, it was kind of my transition from um, bike messenger life into teaching yoga was, you know, I've always loved to move my body. I've always loved to be outside in some capacity. Um, But yeah, never, never super serious about it. Just, um, just part of kind of my lifestyle overall, I'd say. Yeah. And the fly fishing side of things, uh, you said you started that about eight years ago. What was it that got you into it? Um, you know, I, I swear it must have been a river runs through it. I feel like <laughs> somewhere along the line, I had this idea of this like meditative quality of fly casting, which like everyone's seen the movie and everyone knows and it's so beautiful. And we also all know that it's not necessarily rep- representative of what any particular day looks no, like. No, not overall. at all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know exactly what it was, but I was really just um, interested in learning and um and yeah, so that's where it began. And from from there, it was really casual to begin with. And, you know, honestly, I'm a, as much as I've you know been a teacher for a long time, and I've worked in a lot of kind of more extroverted environments, I'm a bit of an introvert. So I, I'm always like looking for different outlets and stuff that I can do solo if I want to. And then, of course, if you can also incorporate community, that's cool, too. But I kind of knew like like my my ticket to like where I can go and explore on my own and feel comfortable doing that so that's definitely a a component of why I was attracted to to fly fishing in particular Um, and then that just that easy transition of a kind of like a mindfulness practice and that that clicked right away too where I was like oh this actually feels like a yoga practice it's like like it has the same essence when I'm out here in these beautiful places that are quiet and you know, again, it kind of depends <laughs> depends where you're fishing and where you are. They aren't all so terribly quiet these days, but um, but yeah, at the time it just felt um, it felt really, for lack of a better term, pretty nourishing on a base level. So well, yeah, yeah. and you know, when you kind of compared it to to yoga to to a degree, there, like 
you know, with yoga, obviously you're changing poses and, you know, my, I mean, I'll say right off the bat, my uh, yoga experience is very limited. I'm a terribly unflexible person. And the couple times I've done yoga, I'm like, this is so painful. I, I certainly <laughs> see the benefits and I know why it's beneficial for people doing it and why they enjoy it. I'm like, but it's just, I, I need to, I need to take a more serious approach to it because, uh, <laughs> like I said, I, I know how good it can be for the body and the mind and all that. But, you know, with, with kind of the transitioning from different poses and whatnot, I mean, that's kind of the same thing with fly fishing, right? Like maybe you're just making your regular cast or now you're roll casting, um, or, or things like that. And, you know, with mending the line or, you know, if like we talked about uh, a little earlier, if you, you know, if you're streamer fishing, like there's, it's, there's kind of like one base movement and then a bunch of things that kind of, uh, work off of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, ultimately it's, I think first and foremost, the mind body connection is more than anything else. Right. So like you get into the state of embodiment where you're actually like, you know, again, we're just, we live in this culture where we're really busy and distracted and there's like constant stimulation and information coming in and output as well. We feel like we need to be doing stuff all the time and getting into that mode of like actually inhabiting our bodies because we really have to when we're fly fishing, like we're really in tune with ourselves as well as our environment. Um, at the end of the day, I feel like that is what's um, most sort of similar between yoga practice and fly fishing is Yes, the, the movement, but also just the, uh, the connection overall. Yeah, and I'm never more focused than when you make that perfect cast in the perfect run and you get the perfect drift. Like the, the, you could almost like pick out details on the fly, right? Because you're watching it so intently and you're just, you know, waiting for that fish to rise. So, yeah, there's certainly um, something about, yeah, both practices where, uh, you're just able to get to a level of focus that uh, you just don't get to, um, you know, regularly on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, you get into the zone. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. The zone. <laughs> so tell me about, um, you know, some of the retreats. Uh, I know uh, you said you were working on, like, scheduling them uh, for the spring and into the summer here. So what takes place during uh, one of your retreats? Is it multiple days, single day? How does it work? Uh, both. So, uh, so I threw Fluent Movement on the fly, and that's predominantly been online classes, and I've kind of been just working on refining how I want to continue to present it to the world. Uh, I've done some in-person classes with Fluent Movement on the fly as well, but I, I thought it would be neat to start creating some retreats that basically encompass a whole bunch of this stuff together. Uh, so I've been doing some day retreats as well as weekend retreats to begin. And as of now, the weight and wellness retreats have been women-specific, um, for a couple reasons. For one reason, it's just a little bit easier to organize with like lodging and sleeping quarters. Sure. Um, but also, you know, I think it's just important to create that communal space for women to come together and learn from one another. So creating a, a woman-led space um, is is important. So it's been cool to do that. I do hope to branch out and do some more um, some more offerings that aren't necessarily gender exclusive. But for the time being, the weight and wellness, fly fishing and wellness retreats are women-focused retreats. And they're, they're really cool. So the idea is, and, you know, it's kind of speaking to a couple, a couple different issues that I started locating in, in the industry of fly fishing as well as yoga and wellness and all of that. Uh, and that being that it was kind of financially uh, inaccessible for a lot of people. You know, guide-hosted trips, which are great and they're really their own specific thing, 
tend to have a pretty high price point because they're they're guided and you have to you have to pay your guides um and you know really with yoga retreats they tend to usually have a pretty high price point because they're really heavy in the education so you have to you have to pay your teachers uh so what i wanted to do is create an environment with these retreats where we could take the guide component out because that tends to be the most expensive part and make them self-guided and then also create an environment that was more welcome toward all levels of anglers. So whether or not they were or attendees are brand new anglers or they've been, it's folks that have been fishing forever. I wanted to see if we could create a space that was, open and welcoming for, for everybody. Um, <clears throat> what, uh, you know, like throughout the, the course of, uh, whether it's a, a single day retreat or uh, a weekend retreat, what is one of the big things that you're hoping that, um, you know, the women will take away from this, you know, when they go home and, and they're back fishing on their own or just in general? Uh, you know, a few different things. So, so one of the missions with the retreats um, is to help people to kind of recognize that it's totally fine to approach fly fishing in your own way. And, you know, so the structure of the tr- retreats is a little bit loose in that, you know, some guide-hosted trips or even yoga retreats, it's like a really rigid schedule, and you're kind of just trying to pack as much in as you can and get as much time in the water as you can. And these retreats, it's a little bit more of a choose-your-own-adventure kind of um, kind of approach. So whether or not people want to fish hard from from dawn until dusk, they can. For those who want to just fish for maybe three four hours and they want to go hang out um, at wherever we're staying and you know go to the hot springs or read a book or whatever, they can do that too. So that's that's one thing that I think is important in terms of the the wellness component is actually people just feeling empowered to take care of themselves in their own kind of individual way. Um, but then on top of that, people also taking ownership over their, their own path in terms of fly fishing and education. You know, we all learn really differently and, and that's good. So people can come to a retreat and decide whether or not they're like, okay, I actually want to hire a guide and go on a, on a guide trip so that I can really deep dive and again, kind of like fast track my education through, through that avenue. Or there's other people who would rather kind of take the DIY approach and maybe let their learning be a little bit more of a slower process. Um, so helping people to kind of un- uncover what their goals are and how they want to approach it as individuals, I think, is really important. Um, and then on top of everything else, the conservation component, I think, is, is huge. So all of, all of our fly fishing retreats, we are, we're hoping to integrate some different organizations to come and offer just some really basic presentations and talks about what it is that they do, and then also incorporating uh, elements of just general outdoor stewardship and and education because there's so many new anglers and, um, and it's great that, that so many people are becoming exposed and excited about the sport. But, you know, I know for myself, I didn't, I didn't know a thing about say fish handling or, you know, spawning grounds and reds for years. You know, I was just never exposed to it until I started getting involved with organizations like Trout Unlimited. So incorporating that into the experience of the retreat so that no matter where people are 
in their fly fishing journey, they leave with those like really integral um, pieces of education. So at least people know like, hey, don't tread on reds. Even though you're brand new to fishing, now you know that this is a thing. And, you know, hey, keep keep your fish wet. Wet your hands when you're handling a fish. Yeah, and I think those like <clears throat> those practices and principles that you just mentioned there, um, you know, are are so important, right? Because a lot of times, um, or at least in, in my experience, when I encounter someone who's new to, to fishing or to hunting, um, you know, the, the conservation aspect of, you know, the outdoors in general, um, they just, they just don't know any better. They don't know what they don't know. Right. And it's, it's no, you know, slight to them. Uh, it's just, it's, uh, likely a, a piece of the, of the puzzle that they just, um, haven't experienced or, or haven't, uh, you know, learned much about. And, and that's okay because it gives, uh, you know, people like you and I and other anglers, you know, opportunities to educate them. And I think introducing those, uh, at an early point in, in their journey with, uh, you know, in this particular case, fly fishing is huge, right? Because it, it gives them uh, a much better understanding of, you know, not just, uh, you know, the fish in the water, but you know, the bugs, but, the you know, the, the area, um, you know, around, uh, the, the streams or the rivers or anything like that and, and how that ecosystem affects the fish. And, you know, I mean, that may be getting a, a bit deeper in than, um, you know, a kind of an entry level conservation talk, but, you know, they, they, they just build this much better understanding, which is going to make them a much better angler too. When you have a, when you know more about, you know, not only the fish, but the surrounding areas and how they all, uh, are intertwined and work together. Yeah, no, totally. That's a really good point, too, is is the fact that, like, yes, as you do actually gain this conservation knowledge, you are going to become a better angler. And, you know, I don't you can't really blame anyone for like right when they're starting. Of course, like the goal is, OK, I need to figure out how to cast well and I need to figure out how to how to choose my flies and all of that. But at the end of the day, they both support one another. Um, so there's a symbiotic relationship between understanding conservation and the environment that you're in um, and understanding how, how to fly fish. So, and I mean, plus stream etiquette, like right. I, I wish there was like, why doesn't anyone talk about stream etiquette more? Because that's the other thing is like, as, as again, the sport is growing and, um, you know, there's, there's some bitterness that you experience from time to time with that. It's like, you know, a lot of that is just stem from people again, just not knowing what they don't know. And, I know for a fact that I spent years having no clue that I was probably just infuriating so many anglers <laughs> that I was just tromping right past, right? Up, you know, cause I just had no idea. Um, so, so yeah, I think that all of that combined, those pieces of, of information and education are huge so that everyone can have a really good time while they're fishing and then also be, um, be having a positive impact on the environment as a whole and the sport as a whole. Yeah, yeah, I, I could not agree more. So, for you, Lindsay, what's what would you say is is the most rewarding thing that you take out of these retreats and, and the interactions with people that you have, whether it's you know on the wellness side or just the you know helping introduce uh, you know people to fly fishing. You know, I think it's more than anything else. It really is the the amount of community that's being built. And again, you know, it's kind of funny because I started fly fishing and it was really just like me fishing alone for several years. For the most part, I never really imagined that I was going to 
morph my uh, my kind of relationship with fly fishing into something that was so community centric. But um, it's been really cool to watch people forge all these new friendships. And I mean, that's the other thing is like all of this learning really can happen in, in more of like these more organic situations where you're just like hanging out with your buddy and you happen to learn something new. Um, so yes, the learning, but also just people having the opportunity to connect with one another is, is awesome. I mean, that's what drew me to, you know, to teaching yoga and to teaching natural movement. And, and that's kind of what's been keeping me interested in, in pursuing this, just people getting to uh, become more connected with one another. Yeah. What's been the most difficult part of it? Part of it. Oh, geez. <laughs> just, I mean, just in general, figuring out how to run a small business is hilarious. Um, and, you know, much of that is just so much trial and error. So I think just uh, just offering myself truthfully a lot of grace and and recognizing that, like, yeah, I'm getting sur- I'm getting survey feedback and like it's not always going to be the most positive. Like everyone has different needs and different wants and different expectations. So you know, being able to gracefully accept um, feedback and and critique here and there is, you know, it's hard, but it's important, and it's, I think it's really, really useful. But, yeah, I mean, you know, small business, it's just like a never-ending learning curve. It really is. Yeah, it, it absolutely <laughs> is. Like, even when you think you kind of have a grasp on it, something crops up and you're like, huh, haven't dealt with that one before, right? And then you got to kind of reassess almost everything that you've done up to that point because it's all led you to where you're at. So yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely an evolution uh, as as time goes on. Yeah. Hello, tax season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the worst time of year for a small business. <laughs> totally. Oh. So kind of sticking with the, the conservation uh, side of things, how was it that you, um, you know, learned about 2% for conservation? Uh, you know, so one of the um, one of the values and goals where with Float Moon on the Fly and the Wayne Wellness Retreats is really honing in on partnering with with local businesses to the best of my ability. So I've been spending plenty of time just researching all the different small businesses and entrepreneurs, both in Montana and Minnesota. So I run retreats both in Montana and Minnesota, and. Um, I happened upon Shannon Waters over at Gastronome oh, somewhere the along the line. I know. Yeah. So I, I connected with her and was like, oh, this is exactly what I need, um, first of all, for these retreats. Like, um, and, you know, I'm also guiding now, too. So I'm like, your food is perfect because it's so good and it's so, so easy to prepare. I mean, it's crazy good. Uh, so I connected with her about about purchasing Gastronome for all the retreats. You know, it's a really cool way to expose all the attendees to to a gastronome and these meals so that they can you know they can use them when they're fly fishing or doing whatever they're doing in the backcountry um so so i actually found out about two percent through through shannon after just spending some time on the website and and kind of digging in i was like oh what's this all about so i'd never actually even heard of it until until i came upon gastronome and was like oh this is awesome i should definitely do this so um which is perfect i mean that's like exactly how it's how it's designed to work right is like you see this badge and you're like oh my interest is peaked right and so yeah that's that's how i learned about two percent and it's been so cool to to start digging into all the different uh businesses who are who are certified and and invested in this 
Yeah, it's a uh, it's a very diverse list, which is one of the things uh, that I've talked about in the past, and that I really love about Two Percent is, um, you know, a lot of people when they when they hear wildlife conservation, uh, you know, they're just assuming that the the brand or the business, whatever, is is somehow uh, affiliated with the outdoors to some degree, whether uh, it's a service or a product that you're offering, but it's it's going to be related. And that's just not the case with 2%. You know, what they're doing is, is trying to find, um, again, businesses and individuals who, regardless of what they're doing, um, you know, put an emphasis on the wildlife and giving back. And it comes in all shapes and sizes. Uh, and that's their you know, the, um, the logo is purple for a reason. Right. And that's, um, that's, yeah, just one of the many things that I love about 2%. Yeah. Well, and it's approachable, right. And and that's kind of the goal with like incorporating some of the conservation education into what I'm doing with, with the retreats is like, how can we actually make this, um, approachable and digestible and accessible? Cause you know, sometimes the stuff gets really heady and overwhelming and people are like, kind of get lost. Um, so yeah, I love I love the way that that two percent really um, clearly communicates conservation. Yeah, and you know when uh, I I get the chance to speak to to businesses or, or people uh, that are from kind of uh, Bozeman or kind of the the greater Bozeman area there, I always just assume um, that it's like oh yeah I, I know Jared. Uh, because Jared feels like the mayor of Bozeman and at least when it comes to like uh, the outdoor community, right? He just has, uh, you know, so many uh, friends and connections, and, you know, through businesses and everything like that, that I just assume like, oh, it's, yeah, Jared just knew him and taught, you know, talked to him about it and, and they, you know, decided to come on. But yeah, to hear, um, you know, that you found 2% through another 2% business, uh, yeah, is super cool. And yeah, I, I can't... Uh, echo what you said enough about gastronome and and their meals because it does not taste like it should be coming out of a bag it's that good oh i know it's crazy (laughs) so what are some of the what are some of the organizations that you're working with there um so man i mean and like that was a project in and of itself i'm just like there are just endless amazing organizations and not that you can't work with many 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 but i did think that it was important to kind of hone in so American Rivers, um, I'm in a river ambassador with them, and hoping to, um, to also organize some fluent movement on the fly events with them that are also river cleanups. And um, backcountry hunters and anglers, uh, wild Montana as well, and then also United Women on the Fly. So why those ones? I mean, you kind of touched on it. Uh, you, you know, you said you were the ambassador, but, you know, what was it about the other organizations that made you decide to to want to get back and get involved with them? I think that all those organizations individually and then also collectively do a really good job of looking at the um, conservation as a whole. So rather than just simply honing in on one like little narrow area, I feel like they do a great job of looking at the relationships between between all of it. So yes, the rivers, yes, the lands, and then also the people. Uh, so so yeah, and I mean, I don't know. United Women on the Fly is I've I've been involved with them for for quite a few years, and that's they're a little bit more um, more specific to creating access to marginalized communities. Um, also, certainly um, doing conservation work and advocates for for keep fish wet, but you know, part of, part of the work that I'm doing is really hoping to create these community events and, and opportunities that are a little bit more accessible to a wider range of, of people. 
And I think that United Women on the Fly has been a huge um, contributing factor in kind of building my philosophy behind that. Um, so they're the best backcountry hunters and anglers, you know, are, of course, they're amazing. And I like that they are equally focused on hunting community as well as fishing community. Um, and then, of course, American Rivers are doing so much important work in, in fishery work in particular and climate change work in particular and, and same with Wild Montana. So I'm just I'm really impressed with all of them. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And I like that you wanted to you took the approach of wanting to kind of, you know, um, hone, um, you know, your search for the right organizations in and and picking uh, the organizations that, you know, not only have, uh, you know, uh, affected you, um, you know, from from a personal standpoint, but that um, align with, you know, what uh, your business is doing and how it all kind of uh, intertwines together. I think that that's super important because um, it, it definitely helps keep you uh, accountable um, for, for giving back and for getting involved when uh, the mission is so kind of near and dear to not only what you believe, but what, you know, your business stands for and everything as well. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So <clears throat> we're kind of, uh, you know, in, we'll say early spring, right? It's mid-April. <laughs> yeah, mid-April. Do you yeah. have like um, any big fly trips or anything this year planned or is it going to be um, this summer just kind of focused on the guiding and the uh, weight and wellness retreats? Yeah, you know, I don't um, I don't have anything huge on the uh, agenda for myself quite yet. That could change. But uh, I did just head out to Pyramid Lake with the United Women on the Fly uh, leadership team uh, a few weeks ago now. And, and that was, I mean, that was so cool that it'll, it'll probably keep me, keep me motivated and moving and just head down working for the next couple of months anyway. But, um, but yeah, I'm going to be pinging back and forth between Montana and Minnesota, which is, which is super fun. So heading up retreats here and retreats there, doing some guiding in both areas. And, um, and I think that's kind of going to be it. I mean, the, the coolest thing about living in Montana is like, I'm not terribly inclined to feel like I need to take a, a trip anywhere else. It's like there's this endless, endless spots that I haven't yet seen. And there's just so much to explore here that I couldn't be happier to just be spending my time uh, right here in Montana and, and some time in Minnesota as well. Yeah. Two places um, that are tough to beat. Uh, I mean, I always, that's kind of one of the questions that I always ask people is like, you know, do you have anything big planned? You know, whether it's a hunting trip, a fishing trip, backpacking trip, whatever the case may be. And, I find more times than not uh, when I'm speaking to someone from Montana, they're like, uh, no, I'm probably just going to, you know, hunt my normal <laughs> unit this year, you know, my normal tag, because, you know, I, I live in Montana and things are pretty good out here, right? Like I don't need to go anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I feel pretty fortunate to, to feel like I don't need to like really take much of a vacation from just my regular life. So, so it's pretty cool though. Yeah, I do love Idaho, so I always make my way to Idaho to fish over there. Well, unfortunately, it's not you know it's it's an easy drive right from from where oh, you're yeah. at. Yeah, it's not it's not difficult to get easy. to. Totally, I mean, just an, an easy little long weekend, even. Yeah. So, as a guide and you know someone who's been fly fishing, what's your favorite, I guess, fish to catch on the fly, and then your favorite uh, method? for for fly fishing i mean in terms of like dries or streamers or nymphs you know what is if you could choose one thing to have to do the rest of your life in terms of fly fishing what would it be 
Oh, always hard. If you want to catch a million whitefish <laughs> in a very short period of time, nymphing is always the game. Um, you know, but I, I don't love nymphing, to be totally honest. I'll do it. I'll do it if I must. But love, love, love streamer fishing. Um, I th- and I think I love streamer fishing particularly because it feels a little bit more engaged, um, you know, versus just kind of watching a bobber or um, watching a dry fly. I mean, of course, dry fly fishing is, is amazing. But I like the engagement of streamer fishing. I love the the connection. I love to eat on a streamer. It's just super impactful and fun. Um, so it's got to be streamer fishing. Uh, and the cool thing about streamer fishing is that it's uh, really translatable uh, to tons of different fish and fisheries. So, you know, whether or not it's cold water fisheries or warm water fisheries, usually streamer fishing um, can get you there. So it's kind of nice to be able to, you know, use the same the same tools and the same gear in more of a versatile way. It's easier on the pocketbook and it's just kind of fun. Yeah, because uh, fly fishing in general can get expensive super fast. It's a very expensive hobby. Um, but yeah, it's one that I personally wouldn't trade for anything. Same. Yeah, same here. And it's great. And, you know, it's only expensive as you want it to be. That's the thing, too, is like you can, you can invest over time or if you've got a, a bunch of money to burn, you can go all in. And, um, you know, I had one, one five weight for four years and it was a pretty cheap little rig and, and it suited me just fine. So it's been fun to expand, but it's, um, you know, it's kind of what you make it. Yeah. And I mean, you're absolutely right there with, uh, making it as expensive as you want, because, you know, for me and my level, um, of fly fishing that, you know, yeah, where, where I'm at, I guess. Um, I couldn't tell you the difference between, oh, likely, uh, between like, you know, a high-end Winston or a Sage or, you know, uh, something from like Cabela's that came in like a, a pack of, <laughs> you know, rod, reel, line, everything all, you know, ready to ready to fish out the door. You know, I just, I think a lot of people are probably in that boat, right? And yeah, for, you know, 150 bucks, you can be, you know, ready to walk out into the river uh, at any given time. And I think that that's certainly important uh, for for people who are just getting into it. Totally, yeah. And, and I love that there's more and more companies that are creating really solid entry-level gear for people because, you know, most people don't want to just drop a couple grand right out of the gate. They'd rather just kind of test the waters and try it out. But, but yeah, I'm the same way. I'm not really a gearhead. So, you you know, I've, I've been slowly learning over time, but you couldn't ask me to to detect those little minute differences that so many people can detect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Lindsay, before I let you go, where can people uh, find you at and learn more about uh, fluent movement on the fly and your weight and wellness retreats? Um, You know, my website's probably the best spot and it's just my first and last name, www.lindsaykoshka.com. I send out a newsletter so you can sign up for a newsletter there. It's, it's relatively infrequent. I usually send it out like once a month and, you know, I'll share events that are coming up, but then I'll also share different resources, education resources, conservation resources, um, just throw out some information that I think is useful um, to the community as a whole. So website's number one. My, um, my Instagram, I've just been rolling with my personal Instagram for the time being just because I feel like it's a pretty good reflection of everything that I've been doing with guiding and the retreats and the fluent movement on the fly classes. So Instagram handle is just Lindsay Kochka and then fluent movement on the fly also has a Facebook page. So it's just fluent movement on the fly. Awesome. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I really enjoyed hearing more, more about your journey 
you know, what you're trying to accomplish with fluent movement on the fly and your retreats. Uh, I think it's great uh, getting people involved and helping them feel more empowered and more comfortable uh, when they are when they are in the outdoors. Um, because like you said, ultimately, you know, the more empowered they feel, the more they're going to enjoy themselves and, you know, getting outdoors in any capacity, um, you know, enjoying it is really what it's all about. Yeah, well, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for, for inviting me on. Yeah. And uh, if I get out to Bozeman, uh, I will be sure to uh, have you point me in the right direction or we can hit up the river sometime. Sounds great. I'll be here. All right. Take care, Lindsay. You too. All right. Well, thank you again to Lindsay for taking some time to sit down and chat with me today. Uh, I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Wild Rivers Coffee and Stone Glacier, as well as 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to con committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media where it's going to be only uh, positive conservation uh, focus posts uh, that you see in your feeds. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for tuning in this week, everyone. Uh, be sure to check out theaverageconservationist.com and uh, catch up on all the latest podcast episodes as well as grab some gear and help support conservation in the process. So until next week, stay safe out there and remember that conservation starts with you. Wow.